Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas. I'm one of the co-hosts, and we've got a very special guest with us today. His name is Alan Banks. Alan, say hello to the people. Hello. I'm glad to be here with you, Jeff. Well, it's, uh, it's great to talk to you. Great to have you here. Alan is the president of Keystone Custom Homes, Carolina's division. And if, if Keystone Homes rings a bell... It's because one of our co-hosts, Jeff Rutt, is also involved in that company. And so we'll see how these guys have the same company name in their titles through this story. But, uh, you know, we'll leave that as a cliffhanger, Alan. Okay, let's not get into that right away. Well, you know, we gotta, we've got to keep our listeners on the edge. So, Alan, we always start with just some background. Tell us about where you grew up, what that was like. Hey, Jeff. Thank you. And yes, I am looking forward to diving into the mutual Keystone story. Uh, I've spent most of my life growing up in Charlotte, North Carolina. Wonderful family. I grew up with two brothers and a uh, fairly reasonable family, Uh, mom and dad. And uh, our needs were met and sometimes our wants were even met along the way. It was a really a um, enjoyable childhood. Along the way, I always like to share this story. It was a Baptist beginning, and you may remember in the Baptist church way back when they always had the little box of envelopes, and that was how we were introduced to the concept of giving, because every week you had to go dig out your envelope and put your nickel in it, or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was kind of the foundation for where generosity started with me. I didn't know what it was about, but that's where it got started. So did, now, did that happen out of your allowance? Did you get an allowance and they sort of taught you how to put, you know, 10% or something in it? Is that kind of how it started? That's exactly how it started. But uh-huh. I don't remember the math, but I'm pretty sure I was well above the tithe level. <laughs> <the> nickel. <laughs> And then I, I bet when they when you got your first job, they probably encouraged that too. Maybe tithing off of that was that true? I think that that was still going on, but by that point we'd moved to the Presbyterian Church, so we got away from the envelopes. <laughs> okay, all right. And then uh, now this is interesting. I always found it fascinating how people get into the industries they're in. But you go off to school at Virginia Tech, and tell us about what you studied. Yeah, thank you for asking. Yeah, uh, I went to Virginia Tech with big ideas. Uh, I was going to be a mechanical engineer. Somewhere along the way, I found out I really didn't look like or think like mechanical engineers, but I was so far into it by that point, there was only one way, swim to the other side. (laughs) So I graduated. As a mechanical engineer, but uh, I was that errant data point. All the other mechanical engineers graduated and they had jobs. I got in my little Volkswagen bug and drove home because I did not have a job and lived in my mom and dad's basement. So, no, I was an engineer, but from there, I got involved with a marketing company of all things. And uh, we started a marketing company and we knew nothing about what we were doing. 
But we grew that a bit over the years and found our way into really serving the home building industry through the marketing company. And some 15 years later, we actually sold that company. And I was real proud of what we had done along the way with that. Well, now this was, okay, and by the way, I just have to point out, somebody is listening to this, walking the dog, and they're like, my son has an engineering degree and he's in our basement. We've done something terribly wrong, okay? And this is an encouragement. Trust me, the story ends well, people. It's already started out pretty well. The story ends well. So now, wait, now, what kind of marketing company was this? I'm, I'm thinking, this is this direct mail? I mean, was email even a thing then? What kind of, you know, what kind of marketing company was this? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, absolutely don't give up on that child in the basement. <laughs> don't do that. No, interestingly, all this was pre-internet. So the really big technology we had at that point was we had a machine which, which could broadcast faxes. Okay. That was the extent of the technology. No, most, uh, most of what we did involved a magazine which we published okay. about the Charlotte area. We actually did it in six different cities at our peak. And for new people, newcomers moving into the area, it was a book about the area. And, of course, that's, that was our tie into the home building business because many of these people were interested in buying a house if they moved here. And what, interestingly, what uh, brought part of the demise of the business was the Internet. Because yeah. we were able to make the jump into the Internet world at that point. So that's why we said, let's sell it. And we sold it at the right time. Well, it sounds like you, had, you still had some value. So that's, that was nice. Okay, so... You sell this thing, and now, what side of the business are you on? Were you on ops? Were you on marketing? All of it? What was your role in that company? Well, as a principal there, I think I was involved with all of it. Everything. Okay. Yeah. So, I would like to say I was an expert at something, but no, I just did all of it. Okay. But clearly, you're getting to know the home building industry. Tell us about how that bridge happened. Well, that's an interesting thing because along the way, I had began a lot of work with Habitat for Humanity International. Yeah. And uh, as a matter of fact, when we sold this business, my wife and I were felt very led. We were going to work for Habitat for Humanity International and moved to America's Georgia. We wow. even had a couple of job interviews there. Wow. And ultimately, it didn't work out. There was a hiring freeze. But so then we turned around and we were led right into... Well, maybe instead of building homes nonprofit, maybe you need to be a for-profit home builder. So God took us right to the edge and then turned us right around and said, here's your opportunity. And we started what was then known as Evans Skygill Homes, a for-profit builder in the, Char in the Charlotte area. Okay. Now, it can't be quite that simple. I mean, running a, a marketing company. Okay. We, first of all, I just love how God weaves these stories. We have an engineer who doesn't really want to be an engineer, okay, who goes to a mar goes to the basement, gets the marketing job. Actually, sounds like it was pretty successful. I mean, were you able to take kind of a year or two off? What did, what did that little break look like, just so we know, before you started the home building business? Oh, I'm glad you, you asked. Yeah, we, we sold that company enough for enough money to where we were able to go to Disney and take two weeks off, but then we really had to get back to work. <laughs> Okay, so now you had Disney money, but not 
uh, sit on the couch forever money. Okay. Uh, we did not find our way to a sailboat in the Caribbean. No got way. it. Got it. So we got to put, we got to do something. So there's some pressure here to, to, okay, what's next. And so how does one start a home building business? Well, I actually ran into a, a, an acquaintance of mine who was already in the business at a much smaller scale. And we just started talking at Starbucks and started writing down ideas about what could happen. So then from, from that, he brought a little bit of home building experience and I brought a little bit of marketing experience and we created the company at that point. I'm afraid it's just that easy. But now it's Evans Coghill, but if I'm, if, 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 unless you've changed your name, you're na- neither Evans nor Coghill. So where did we get this name from? Well, actually, I do need to correct that because Coghill is actually my middle name. It is. It is. And my grandmother's maiden name and my business partner then, it was his middle name and his grandmother's maiden name. So we just thought it sounded like a cool name. Don't you think it does? It actually does. It does. It's, it's got kind of a Southern thing going with the Coghill. I don't know. Now, Evans, where did that come? Or did it just, just, just sounded cool? Coghill was the middle name you had in common and you just came up with Evans because it sounded cool? Well, actually, the uh, Evans part was my then business partner. That was his middle name. Okay. Bye, gay. So you combine your middle names and and got it rolled. That's not the big ego move necessarily, though, right? Because it's like, let's use our names, but we don't necessarily need to have the billboard up where it's got our first and last name kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Is that that fair? You were kind of a little under the radar that way? We were a little under the radar, not believing we were there to glorify ourselves. As right. a matter of fact, one of the first things we did was we committed to then every house we sold, we'd give $500 to Habitat for Humanity. Okay. So that started from the very beginning. And obviously you'd had those, that's why those stories of growing up, I think are so valuable to kind of set the table on what that faith journey looked like growing up. And it sounds like you continued that looked at Habitat really hard, almost as a full-time job, get into the home building business. Now, how does it go? Now, I, I can imagine, okay, when I, when I think of real estate, I think of interest rates. And interest rates rise, and interest rates fall, and there are recessions and all that. So maybe tell some of the good stuff and some of the bad stuff of what happened over those years. There was plenty of ups and downs. Yeah. With it. uh, it's interesting now because you tend to remember the good times. Right. And the- phase out on me, <laughs> yeah. which were challenging to where there were some days where we felt like it was the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, where they reach the end of the day with the bank and they have $2. Yeah. We uh, had some of those days to where we celebrated the uh, $2, but truly we were blessed by so many things along the way. So many people wanted to help. Yeah. It's kind of one of the things we learned if we were genuine and then ask for help, people wanted to help us because we didn't know what we were doing, okay? Charlotte was a great market for selling houses, but anybody can sell a house. It's tough to do it profitably. So we had to have help from um, people. The downturn of 2007 certainly had its price, but, but we'd been blessed with, we were invited into a great neighborhood prior to the downturn. And it's what carried us through because despite the fact people weren't buying homes elsewhere, they bought them in that neighborhood. 
and we were able to keep going through that time. God blessed us at that time. Okay. Man, that is a very rare thing in your business, right? I mean, a bunch of your competitors did not make it through that, I would imagine. Is that right? A number of them didn't. I uh, say many times there's two things that carried us through the recession, and they were in this order. God's blessing on us and the network we had. It was those two things. One brought encouragement, one brought provision, and it worked. That's amazing. So now, how is that? Is your business partner, that original business partner, still involved, or how did that evolve? No, he stepped aside to uh, do other things a number of years ago, and I was able to uh, buy him out at that point and uh, continue to uh, grow the business after that point. Gotcha. Okay, so now you're you're going along. The business is growing. Can you give us a sense? I know you've been the president of of a lot of different organizations within your industry, so clearly the business grew. You don't have to give us sort of revenue numbers or anything like that, but just just from like maybe a number of homes, did you kind of keep track of those kind of things? Maybe maybe just just so the listeners can get a sense of how this thing grew. Sure, we uh, started out our uh, first year. We uh, closed three homes. And yep. we're very proud of that. And our next year, we probably doubled that and we made it all the way to six. Okay. And <laughs> then we doubled that again. Right. Unfortunately, we were doubling small numbers early on. So yep. it didn't make a big number. But uh, to date, we've uh, closed about 500 homes. Gotcha. In the Charlotte area. Gotcha. And then, so at first, you were donating $500 a home. And clearly, just because I know the rest of the story, but the folks that haven't heard this whole story, take us along this journey. How does the generosity journey maybe parallel the faith journey that you're on? And maybe uh, I'm guessing that things got a little bigger than a $500 check per home. They did grow beyond that point. They uh, grew to as much as $1,000 per home. Yeah. At one point. So we know that. 08 had its pressures, but you're in a hot market. It's a big city. It's growing quickly. You know, you, you don't have a national brand. Tell us about what other pressures you were under as the Charlotte area grew and being maybe a, a niche player in the city. Did that cause some stress? Absolutely, Jeff. The market was growing and uh, we weren't growing at the same rate as the market was. And the reason for that was more and more big players, bigger home builders were attracted to Charlotte. As a matter of fact, we got all of the top 10 builders in the country to uh, show up here. And quickly, our market share as a small builder started to get compressed. So then, although times were good and profitable, growing it became more of a challenge because you were competing with bigger players for the same thing. We're all lots to build land, uh, build houses on. Exactly. And so now how did this, how did that resolve itself? How did that struggle kind of resolve itself? Well, two ways. One is the grace of God continued to bring us opportunity. But then the other one is the really, really unique thing, which is how Jeff Rutt with Keystone Custom Homes, and I got together because it's not what I was looking for, okay? I was looking for what I need is capital. I need right. a master so that I can go play a bigger game. 
All right. And one day the phone rings and it's a fella calling me up, a mutual friend of both Jeff and I. He said, Hey, I know this guy named Jeff Rudd, pwn builder in Pennsylvania. He's going to be in Charlotte. Y'all ought to have lunch. Sure. Let's, let's arrange that. Might, might learn something. That lunch wound up being seven hours. Well, <laughs> we were very hungry that day, I guess. But Lunch and dinner. Maybe breakfast yeah. in there, too. At least two meals. Yeah. Seven hours of just wow. conversation of what could be and the shared values which we found in the idea of uh, both of us were operating with a concept that there is profit for purpose. And that's that's what bonded us together in the early conversations. So we talked about this a little before we started recording, but what does profit for purpose mean to you? I'm glad you asked that uh, question because profit for purpose is some is one of those words. It's easier to answer in the negative. Yeah. If it's not profit for purpose, what is it? Is Great it profit way to look for at pride? It. Yeah. Is it profit for a beach house? Is it profit for, for security? Is it profit for play? I mean, it's hard to put profit for something unless it's for purpose. Mm. So for me, it's what those things are not. So what's left is purpose, profit for purpose. And how do you, what does purpose mean to you? Ah, uh, that's where it gets interesting. <laughs> that is because we have to admit that, that, that there's only so much we're going to need in order to finish this race here, okay? There, there's only so much stuff, only so much capital. And what are we going to do with the rest of it? Yeah. Are we going to give it to the kids? Are we going to give it to the IRS? Or, or are we going to put it to use now so that maybe we can direct what happens? That purpose is what are we doing with that profit now as opposed to building it up for later? But you got to understand something, okay? Because the connection to Keystone brought about a real test in our lives. Can I explain that? Yes. This is, I think, the core of the story. This is, it brought about a real test. My wife and I, Lynn and, and I, had been prepared for this moment. We just didn't know it. Okay? And what God brought about was an opportunity for us to do something we weren't considering. Remember, I was shopping for investors. Right. Okay. What God brought about was, was God said, I got an opportunity for it. But what you have to do in order to do this is you need to give away almost all of your business. It's mine anyway. I just want to make it legal now. It's going to now legally be mine. And what I mean by that was as part of our affiliation with the uh, Keystone Custom Home, we gave away, my wife and I, 90% of the equity in our company at that point, which means 90% of it is now owned by a donor advice fund with the National Christian Foundation. And that was a bold move for us. Oh, big time. And if listeners have heard Jeff Rutt's story, we interviewed him in the first couple of episodes where he had given away 89% to the National Christian Foundation. But, and for you to donate that and kind of merge that in is very unique. You know, that you didn't have to do it. Frankly, 
You could have sold it to a third party, kept the money, been generous, whatever. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that if that's what God guides. You probably, heck, I don't want to speak for Jeff, but you know, maybe you could have even sold it to him and uh, for full price and still worked at a meaningful place. So what did that discussion look like between you and your wife? I cannot, that's a very big deal to be on the same page with your spouse about that. Oh, yes. That's what was so God-filled about it. Because by the time we got to that point to where this is what we ought to be doing, I think the decision had already been made. We had been led to that uh, point to where, yeah, this does make sense, okay? Maybe we won't own a beach house, but that's okay. We're going to give this to God, and then, and then we're going to go about profit for purpose. Now, now, this is fascinating. When you and I talked about this earlier, you talked about a couple of the, I don't want to say unexpected necessarily, but certainly benefits of doing this. So I, I, can, I can imagine, you know, we're doing a similar thing, giving away 10% at a time over a, a few years at a time. So Arcos is giving away 20%. So we're on that journey. I know what that feeling feels like of kind of, okay, trusting God. This is what I'm supposed to do. Here we go. And then to see uh, the, the surprise benefits of it, what have been some of the surprise benefits of doing this? I think the word that comes to mind quickly when you ask that question is peace. Mm. There's a peace about, about this, okay? I don't really know where this is going to go, okay? It's kind of part uh, of the fun of it, right? I, exactly. Exactly. I know where it goes next. Okay. I don't know that, but I do know, hey, I've got God now at the center of it. So then he's pretty much going to call the shots as to where this thing's going to go. I just need to hang on. I've been kind of excited about the doors that open because of this, because it's such an incredible story to tell. It's, yeah, we're going to give away a thousand dollars. We're going to give away 90 cents of every dollar of profit. Yeah. Exactly. And if I'm not mistaken, one of the things you told me when we chatted before was also, is it fair to say there was a sense of freedom that you get to kind of do the thing you're best at without thinking about the pile? Talk, unpack that a little for us, if you would. Well, part of the blessing in it, Jeff, was the affiliation with Jeff Rutt's organization. Because, remember, I was trying to find someone or something I could partner with bigger, which would give us more horsepower under the hood. Right. Well, this allowed us to work closely with Keystone Custom Homes. As a matter of fact, even take their name here in Charlotte and take advantage of many of the processes and organization that uh, they had, which then relieved me of the obligation of the minutia of business. So we can focus on what? The growing of business, which is what I really wanted to do the whole time was to grow it, not just run it. I want to grow it. Right. So you get the benefits of the merger. It's interesting. There's a theme that's coming to my mind as you're telling this story. When you were defining profit for purpose, you, you, you started by defining what it wasn't. You know, I think that's a good way to look at these things. You know, what I'm also seeing is that same kind of 
what's what you're not doing now because of the gift you made is going, man, what am I going to do with this giant pile of cash? Uh, what toys am I going to buy? It becomes, that's a lot to manage. And it sort of takes that off the table. And now you can just focus on the business, growing the business for a greater purpose. I, I like the simplicity of that. Is that fair to say that it's simplified things a little bit? And is freedom a fair word? Is simplicity a fair word? I think simplicity is a fair word. I think freedom, I think peace is a fair word. Peace, like you said. And don't forget that there is a real tangible side of it. When 90% of your business is owned by a charity, you're operating at a much lower tax rate. Right. So, there, so you have more dollars available for a profit for purpose. That's a great point. And just for the listeners that haven't experienced this, you know, there's a lower tax rate on the piece that goes to charity generally, which frees up capital for growth. And you're in a capital intensive business. So there's more available to do that. So kind of smart business move from a growth capital standpoint also. But I think the, the other thing is, you know, as the Bible says, where your money is, your heart will be also. So I'm also picturing you spending more time maybe instead of on the pile of money that you could have made, selling it to a third party or, or even, a, even a keystone for, for more money instead of making the gift. But now you've got 90% going to charity. That's a different kind of stewardship responsibility. Can you talk about that responsibility and how you think about where to give? That's an awesome responsibility, which we have now. Because we've already planned, we're going to have resources to give away. So what we're putting together is a three-person panel, which will be vetting the opportunities as to where we give this money away. Because in the Donor Advised Fund, we control 100% of where that money goes. It just will always go to a Christian-based charity of uh, some sort. And so, yes, it's prayerful what uh, has to happen, but it's so exciting to know we have funds now which we can give away to organizations which need it, like, of course, Hope, Hope International would uh, absolutely be uh, one of them, among others. Yeah. You know, Alan, I think when people hear about you giving away to a charity, you know, 90% of your business, I think one concern might be, are you giving control to that charity? How does that work? Good question. Yeah, it sounds kind of crazy that you have a charity for a business partner. But you really don't because the 90% we gave away or whatever percent others may give away are non-voting shares. So they have no influence over how the business operates. I still set my own salary, and if we decide to open up on Monday morning and sell houses or take the day off, we still make that. We make all the financial decisions still just like it was before. As a matter of fact, it's even a higher calling now because it's being done for profit for purpose. Okay, thank you for that clarification. What are some of the, you don't even have, you don't have to name the charity specifically, and if you want to, feel free, but maybe what are some of the areas of passion I always say, when we get into this question, we always ask clients and sort of thing on this, on this sort of where to give, you know, what breaks your heart? 
or when you wake up in the morning, you know what I mean? You see, you, you see something on the news or read about something and, and different stories and issues hit each of us differently. I think God plants that in it. What are a couple of those for you and your wife? A big one that's important to us is um, getting the gospel message to the next generation. Yeah. And one of the ways which we think is so effective to do that is through sports ministry. And uh, supporting sports ministry, which can, in a subtle way, introduce the gospel while you're playing soccer or while you're doing something else like that. Yeah. Yeah. Were you exposed to that as a kid? Where do you think that comes from, that passion? That's a good question. I'm, I wasn't exposed to it that way. I just like the relational aspect we like the relational aspect of uh, how it's presented that way. And, and so this three-person team, I think you said, this is, since this is a fairly new transaction, right? This just happened, was it 21, 22? September, September of 21, we made the gift to the National Christian Foundation. So we're just now finding ourselves needing to figure out how to, do, how to handle the money. You know, you know, one thing I like about this, Alan, is that, it's a faith journey. I mean, I think that's very evident in your story is that you had parents that kind of raised you this way. Not everybody has that advantage, but I think that is an advantage that you have to, to walk with them. You know, you've raised a, a faithful family. So God's kind of been on this leading you for, for a long time. And what I like is sort of the comfort that you have in saying, I'm just doing, we're just doing what he says to do. And I kind of like this interview happening at the time it's happening because you don't have 20 years of history of what this all looks like. And I kind of like the transparency of, well, we're going to have three people. Don't have it. You don't have it exactly formed yet. Is that fair? That's exactly it. We're, we're still figuring that part out, but it's just the next step in the journey. Right. We're just moving it down the line. And I just, I love the theme of that, where you don't have to have it all figured out. You've trusted God this far, it's worked. I always say, if you trust him long enough, you get addicted to his path, because I always say all my ideas are garbage, and all I get, God's ideas are amazing. I just try to listen to him as much as humanly possible, and the more, better I listen, the better it goes, because he's so creative, he wants the best for us, all of those kind of things. So it's, it's just fun to see you on that, on that journey to see what comes next. I like the open-handedness. Is that kind of how you feel at the moment? That's exactly it, is, is the open-handedness, because one of the things my wife and I believe in is that uh, giving must be planned, okay? We don't want to find ourselves having to consult our wallet or our calendar if we're asked to give. Mm, that's good. And now we've already given. Now it's just a matter of how do we use the resources? We're not going to get tripped up over, should we spend it ourselves? That's, that's decided. Actually, that's, a, that's actually a great point. If you have to keep, that's actually one of the unexpected benefits that, that I've felt in that is that's off the table. Like, you don't have to sit around and go, well, how much should we give now and, you know, when and all those kind of things. It just, every time there's a distribution, it's happening. And uh, I, I, it's kind of freeing, actually, to have, you don't have, it just, you know, 
I'm a, a big golfer and, you know, they talk about in putting, you got a, you got distance control and, uh, and you got the line. There's the only two things you got to do. You got to hit it the right distance and what's the line. You already set the line. Now you just got to worry about the, you know, it's just took one of the two big variables out. That's it. Exactly. And, uh, back to the whole freedom piece. Yeah. I mean, that part's decided. Now you get to do the fun part. Right. Okay. Which is, where does it go? Who benefits from this? Yeah. How, do we, how do we magnify God through these few dollars we're dealing with here? How do we glorify him? So fun. Well, I'm excited to see where this takes you. Well, you know, as we sort of uh, get to the end of this discussion, you know, we talked about this before we started recording, you know, we're just a couple of uh, a business guys uh, trying to follow God's leading. And uh, that's the whole purpose of this podcast is just to inspire, tell stories, to inspire. We don't know who's walking the dog right now or walking on the treadmill or whatever at the gym. And uh, that they want to they be more generous. They, they want to use their business as a platform to benefit others. But maybe they're not quite sure where to start or they're stuck a little bit. You know, you've been on this journey for a while, even though this transaction is re- reasonably new. So, you know, we always try to wrap with just a practical tip, something that maybe the spirit brings to your mind that a listener could use tomorrow morning when they wake up. What do you, what's one little practical tip you might leave with folks? Yeah. The one that came to my mind came out of David Green's book, Giving It All Away, the yeah. founder of Hobby Lobby. He should be on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Or I am. Okay. David said, and I probably won't say it the right way, the wealth we create is like a bonfire. If, if it's controlled, it will warm our families. If it's allowed to spread wildly, it will devastate. Well, there, there's just such magnitude of that as you think about the wealth and what are you doing with it? Yeah. So think about your fire control. <laughs> How are you going to control that fire of wealth? Right. And you probably should think about that fire control before that fire gets too big, right? You might want to think about that before you light the fire. There you go. There you go. How are we going to control the fire? We feel like we're, we're controlling the fire because we just gave them gave away the wealth before right. we even had it. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. So, Alan, thanks so much for sharing your story. I'm sure it's going to be a blessing to very, very many folks. Thank you, Jeff. I enjoyed it too. Well, thank you, everybody, also for listening to this week's Generous Business Owner podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and share it with your friends and colleagues. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.